Really, really good to see you again. Uh, many of you I do know. Um, love being here. Uh, people thanked me for coming, which is kind of them, but I like coming. So, uh, and this morning, I know we're cramming a lot in, um, but it really kind of in one Sunday encapsulates everything that this is about in terms of giving money in order that Jesus can be known across the whole world. Uh, bringing new elders in, recognising what God's doing in people's lives and saying, actually, the church needs to receive more from these men and from these families. Um, so we recognise that to strengthen the church. Baptism's coming up later, which is really what it's all about. Um, so it, it's an honour for me to be here this morning, to be part of that. I've known Dave and Leslie for years, uh, known Vic quite a few years, and uh, Paul, we've got some history, lots of stuff. Um, that's, yeah, I know. That's why I said it that way, Vic. Everyone's got history with Paul. Um, so it's a, it's a delight to be here th this morning. Um, hopefully I will teach on something which goes right into all that we've been doing. But as Vic kind of introed me, he said maybe there'll be some stories. Um, so I'd better find one. Uh, a lot of what I do is uh, into the Middle East. So although I am uh, have been a pastor in the UK... Uh, and I have a leadership role, I'm an elder on the in uh, one of our churches in Birmingham. I spend a lot of time travelling. Um, Dave Nunn, who obviously you all know, uh, he and I work together into some of these places. Um, and there's lots of challenges, as you can imagine, uh, but Jesus is working. And in one part of the world, which I'm not going to name, uh, although some of you will uh, <coughs> work it out, or may even seen, heard some of this story, depends who you're connected with. Um, but in the Middle East... Uh, one of our uh, people who, who we've sent over there on a team is uh, being taught the local language actually by a refugee who's uh, fleeing their own country because it's in war. Um, and she begins to ask some questions, this refugee lady, um, and rather than teach the gospel in a way that we would, uh, with kind of ideas, well, this is Jesus, he died, here's why he died, um, it works best in that part of the world, going back to what we were saying just now about the Bible school, in terms of different ways of communicating and learning, if you simply use stories, and stories from the Bible, because they're incredibly powerful. Um, so they began to share some stories with this lady, and simply saying, look, here's the story of Adam and Eve, which you'll be familiar with, because uh, in her faith background, they've got the same story. Um, and they talked about how what happened with Adam and Eve had broken the relationship with God and how there was no way back. Um, and they just read through one day with her some of these stories. Uh, the Holy Spirit was working. Um, and uh, she was saying, well, there must be a way to know God. I must know God. I'm unclean like Adam and Eve now. I'm unclean. Is there a way back? Um, and during this conversation, she came to understand for herself. The team didn't tell her, but through reading stories, she said, it's Jesus. Jesus is the way back. It's through him and what he did. Um, and she came to faith. She's the only one in her family. Um, this week, her, so here's the latest instalment. Here's the main part of the story. Uh, her brother, sadly, a little while back, got put in prison. He's also a refugee. He didn't have the right papers. Um, and so she says to my friends, she said that this is terrible. I, I need to get him out. He, he shouldn't be in there. He's not done anything wrong. Um, but we, we don't know anybody. We can't do anything to get him out. It's just powerful people are in charge, and I've got nothing. She says, but I'll pray. And she's with someone else in the family, um, 
and uh, sh she says, look, we need to pray. And she's hesitant because the family won't pray to the same person that she'll pray to. And the person in the family said, look, why don't you just pray uh, to whoever's on your heart? So she prayed to Jesus in front of her family and prayed to her brother. And her brother was released. And someone, a friend, I think, I don't think it was a family member, a friend said, who is it you know who's high up? that caused this to happen because there's no logical reason why he would be let out. Someone high up has done you a favour and she knew. Well, the brother is with her after being released. She's got no food, um, nothing to feed him with. She's poor. All she's got is a small amount of yoghurt um, which she gives him um, and he eats and eats and th they like yoghurt in that part of the world but not this much. Because he said, this is the best yogurt I've ever had. Can I have some more? Well, she knows there isn't any more. But she goes to the pot and there's more. So she tops his bowl up. And this is all there is to eat. So he finishes that bowl and says, this is really nice. And they empty some more out of the pot. And he eats his fill and she's got the same amount left. See, these stories don't only happen in the book we call the Bible. Because God is still alive and still working. And then she said, came back to my friends to tell them what had happened, and she said this. She said, it's amazing that this Jesus loves me so much that he would answer my prayers, release my brother, and give my brother enough food to eat. That's how much Jesus loves me. A few weeks ago, she didn't know Jesus. And now she knows that Jesus loves her because of everything that has happened. Jesus is working. Your news stories will tell us a very dark picture of what's happening in the Middle East. It's horrible, <coughs> um, horrific, some of the things that are going on. Got other stories that, that can personalise that, which I won't tell now. But that's not the full picture. You see, Jesus lives and works and rescues in the darkest of places. That's why he came. Jesus works in the most broken of situations. So whenever you see a story from the Middle East which is full of brokenness and hatred, please pray. You can sit here and think, Andy, that story is amazing. I'm encouraged. Thank you. So please do that. But do a little bit more. Because when we feel helpless or overwhelmed and think, how can we do anything? We can pray. Whenever the news comes on, you can say, Jesus, I know you're working some bloke on Sunday told me this amazing story. Now, will you please keep doing that? Your prayers make a difference. Keep praying and keep asking Jesus to work. Secondly, don't give up on where you live and where you work. It's the same God who rescues. It's the same God who works. And you can be thinking, but I don't see God doing that here. Well, people look at the Middle East and say he's not doing anything. And he is. And he's living and working here. And you're going to baptise people this afternoon who will tell you how much he's working. So please do not give up. Let's read a story now. Goodness, we haven't got much time. From the, you're going to witness another miracle. <laughs> that was a bit loud, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, I'll try I don't mind you laughing. It's just that you're on the front row doing it. <laughs> Luke 24. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow this. Luke 24. We're going to read right at the end of the chapter. Let me set the scene for you. Um, so we've had Friday when Jesus has been put on the cross. 
this was confusing. This was not meant to be the end of the story for the disciples because they'd seen Jesus do remarkable things. They were beginning to understand perhaps he is the Messiah. Perhaps he is the one. This is all a bit boomy. Should I keep using this one? Is the handheld better? We'll keep going. Whatever's easiest. (coughs) So uh, they've seen Jesus hung on the cross thinking, but he was the Messiah. He had incredible power to feed the sick, to feed the hungry. Last time I here, I think, we looked at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He's healed the sick. He's opened the eyes of blind people. No one does this. Why is he on the cross? And the disciples were beginning to uh, think that he's not who we thought he was. That was Friday. And it looks like the religious powers who hated Jesus because of everything he was doing for the poor people, for the broken people, for the excluded people, and because he was telling the religious rulers, you've lost your way, you should be doing this, they hated him, it looked like they'd won, they'd put him on the cross. It looked like the Roman Empire had won, they were the oppressor, they were the one that was ruling over God's people, oppressing them, and they thought, well surely the Messiah will rescue them from Rome's rule, but it looks like Rome has won. That was Friday. Friday was dark. Friday was full of despair and hopelessness. Friday looked like the end of the story. But of course, with God, death is never the end. I'll say that again. With God, death is never the end. Never the end. Saturday was full of hopelessness. We don't even know what the disciples did. No one tells us in the story what they did on Saturday. Lots of tears, probably. Lots of sadness, lots of depression. Sunday comes, and Sunday is a totally different day. And the reading we're going to read is happening on Sunday. But already that morning, some of the ladies who knew Jesus had gone to the tomb because they wanted to anoint his body. That was the tradition in that part of the world, to prepare his body for death. They hadn't had a chance to do that, so they want to go to the tomb now. But they get to the tomb, and there is no body. In fact, uh, a couple of them see angels And the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Um, To which they'd have thought, but we haven't come looking for the living. We thought he was dead. And one of them talks to who they think is a gardener, but then they realise it's not the gardener, it's him. They run back and tell the disciples. Then uh, on the road out of Jerusalem, two of Jesus' followers are walking along, depressed and sad. Their hearts are heavy, their heads are down. They're leaving Jerusalem, they're going away. They don't know what has happened and suddenly Jesus appears to them. They've got no idea it's him. It's almost like Jesus having a little bit of fun, a little bit of a practical joke, because Jesus himself walks with them, and they don't know it's him. And and he says, why are you so sad? And they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know? No, he's the only one who it happened to. But they don't realise. We're we're meant to smile. I, I I think some of you in this church know this but a lot more of you need to know it. You are meant to smile at parts of the Bible, okay? It is allowed. It's not just religious, meant to be read with a frown or a holy look on your face. Jesus is walking with them saying, tell us guys, why are you fed up? It's meant to be a little bit funny. And they've got no idea it's him. So they begin to tell him what's happened to him and how all their hopes haven't been met because he was the one on the cross and he's just walking. How did he not tell them? Why didn't he giggle? And he holds it together until they sit down for supper and he breaks bread. And they remember when he broke bread before. And they realise it's him in that moment as he gives thanks. And he disappears, which is also meant to be funny, okay? (laughs) 
You've just realized it's him. It's you! Where'd you go? <laughs> How do you do that? Now what's going on? And they run back to Jerusalem. And they get to the rest of the disciples and say, he's alive, we've seen him as well. Cue story. Verse 36 of Luke 24. While they were t- still talking about this, that's these guys who have just got back, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. That's an understatement. They're in the room, the door is locked, they're trying to work out, is he alive or isn't he? Surely he can't be alive. You must have seen his ghost because they believed in ghosts. They, that's what their conversation would have been. That's why in a minute Jesus says, look, I'm not a ghost. Give me something to eat. You can touch me. You, c- you can see. Because the conversation would have been, maybe you saw a ghost. Maybe it wasn't him. We saw him on the cross. We know Rome and the religious rulers killed him. And it says here, in a very English way, they were startled and frightened. Listen, if you were sitting in the room to discussing ghosts, trying to work out if Jesus is alive or dead, and suddenly, through a locked door, he appears, there'd have been one reaction. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Any of you are hoping for sleep? No chance. That's what would have happened. You'd have been very, very shocked and startled. <coughs> he said to them, why are you troubled? Oh, you're Thank you, Jesus. Why, why do you think we're troubled? Why do you have doubts rising in your minds? Look at my hands, my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said all this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Isn't that lovely? They're overcome with so much joy and amazement. They're still struggling to believe. It's just Luke kind of capturing the emotion of what's going on. It's him. He's alive. He's real. I can't believe this. This is incredible. Such joy. He said, do you have anything here to eat? I gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. I'm going to stop there because of time. But basically, he goes on and says, look, this is what I told I told you this would happen when I was with you. And then he opens their scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament now. And he goes through it and says, look, this bit is about me. This is about me. This is about me. Moses. This points to me. Abraham, this all points to me. Even the story of Noah and the ark, this points to me. And then the prophets come. They're talking about me. The dream Daniel had's about me. The Isaiah's talking about me. Jeremiah, that if this is all about me. And does an amazing Bible study with them. Where he takes them through the scriptures. And then he says, all of these things now, everything you've seen and heard. You're, you're witnesses. You're here. You've seen it. The story doesn't end here. You're going to talk about this everywhere. You're going to tell people everywhere about this because this is for the world. So that's what Jesus goes on to do. And often that's the bit that we'll talk about when we get to this passage. People like me, uh, preachers, will often talk about that and say how amazing it is that Scripture foretold all of this and now we're going to go into the world. And we finish, we teach on the bit where Jesus finishes. I want to teach for a few minutes on the beginning what Jesus says when he walks into the room. His greeting to them. He says to them, peace. They're startled and frightened, but he says, peace be with you. Greetings in many parts of the world are really important. A friend of Dave's, uh, who I met, and his friend became my friend, was in North Africa. And one time we asked him to speak at a conference to train us uh, on the importance of greetings in the Arabic world. He, He spoke for 30 minutes on how you say hello. It's true, isn't it, David? 
And that was because we asked them to be short. <laughs> 30 minutes. I mean, yeah, how it goes, Paul, I'm going to need you. I can't move because I'm going to get all kinds of sound. It's just settled down. So I greet Paul. Morning, Paul. Good to see you, mate. You well? Great. So that's it. Um, and, and if, you know, a bit more Christian. How are you doing, Paul? Yeah, okay. We do the side now. You know, it's that. We used to do the full-on, but now guys just do the side. Yes. And, yeah, and we step away because we're English. We've got to keep the space. <laughs> got to have at least a couple of meters. And that's as much as a greet. Everything all right with family? Not bad. Yeah? Church good? Yeah, right. yeah God bless you, mate. See you soon. <laughs> and that will be... Come, that's, you can take your seat. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. And that will be the most, probably, that, that's the greeting. Anything else on from there, if we carried on talking, would be in-depth conversation. <laughs> if, we, if we go any further. Our friend from uh, the Arabic-speaking world, he, he said, no, hello, does a lot, lot more than that. You do say shalom, you do say peace to one another, and you mean it. And, and then you'll ask how you are, you'll ask how the father is, you'll ask how the family is, you'll ask loads of questions which you really want the answers to about how everything is, which is all part of hello before you then have any other conversation. I, I can't do it justice this morning because of time. But he spoke to us about 30 minutes about how you do greetings. In this story, we'll often miss Jesus' greeting. He says, peace to you. And here's what I think is going on here. I don't think Jesus is simply making a greeting. I don't think Jesus is simply being polite. I don't think Jesus is simply saying, hey, I know this is going to shock you, so let's just settle down, peace. Jesus is making a declaration of victory and of how the world now is. That's what he's doing. This isn't only a greeting. This isn't simply Jesus being polite. Jesus is making a statement of what he has achieved through his death and resurrection. You see, the reality is in any other story in the New Testament, when they meet each other, there would have been a greeting. Because that's what you do. You don't go anywhere in the Middle East without people greeting you before you get onto conversation. They will greet you in, in that way. They will say shalom and they will ask you how you are before you get into conversation. Nowhere else in the New Testament stories of Jesus meeting his disciples are we told the greeting. We just get into the parable or the teaching or the miracle. But here, the greeting is included. Why? Because it's more than a greeting. This is a statement of how the world now is, now that Jesus has risen. Peace. He's not simply saying, be at peace, guys. Settle down. I am here. He's not simply saying, it's been three days. How are you? He's not simply going through the formalities. Jesus is saying, I was dead. I'm alive. Shalom. There is now peace. Before this event, there wasn't peace. Now, there is peace. Peace in what way? Why is he saying this? Well, the word peace, the word shalom that's here, um, is a very rich word. It means all kinds of things. It means wholeness. It means harmony. It means no more war. It's full of richness, full of depth. He's not simply saying settle down. He's not simply saying be still. He's talking about be whole. Be restored. Be in harmony. There is no more war. You declare peace after a battle. You declare peace after a fight. What's the victory that Jesus has won? Well, Jesus has won the victory over death, first and foremost. And the sin, the selfishness, the wickedness, the distortion, the <coughs> brokenness in creation that has caused death to come about. That's what Jesus has won victory over. That's why Jesus is saying, hey, everyone, there's victory now. There's peace. This is a victory day. 
This is a declaration of victory. I'm not just saying, hello, guys, how you doing? It's been a while since I've seen you. I'm saying, I have conquered death. So now we're in a time of peace. See, what happened right the way back at the beginning, you read about it in the early chapters of Genesis, where the author is wanting to explain to us why all of this has gone wrong. You see, you get the creation story where God makes everything, and every time he makes something, he says, that's good. He doesn't just mean he's pleased with his work. It's not like he's done a nice picture. Say, hey, that's quite good, isn't it? Do you like that? Do you like the colour? Do you like the the way I've shaded that? Do you like the pretty use of my colours? No, he's making a statement of its worth and how it works. He's saying, this is righteous. This is pleasing. This is whole. This is good. And then he makes people in his image, man and woman. And he says, this is very good. This is very righteous. This is very whole. This is how it should be. That's what God is saying in that story when he declares everything good and then very good. Very righteous. It works. Nothing's broken. There is wholeness. There is shalom. There is harmony. But mankind, as we know from the story, decides not to go with God's way of doing things and thinks they know better and listens to the devil in the story, the serpent. He says, do you really think you'll die if you do what God told you not to? And Adam and Eve do. They do listen to the serpent and they disobey God. And brokenness and disharmony and rebellion and selfishness comes in. And everything that was very good is now broken and spoiled. And death has come. And it affects all of creation. And instead of there being life and vitality, now there is decay, death and sickness. And that's what came into the world. And that was the enemy. And yes, there's oppressive rulers and oppressive empires. And yes, Rome was one of them. And the disciples are confused because Jesus doesn't seem to take them on and doesn't seem to challenge them in the way that they thought the rescuer, Messiah, Saviour would. But it's because that wasn't the real enemy. The real enemy wasn't a crushing empire. The real enemy was evil and wickedness and selfishness and death itself. That's who Jesus came to rescue us from. Jesus came to rescue humanity and in fact the whole cosmos from what got broken at the beginning. And Jesus is standing before his disciples and saying, victory, power of death. And the writers in the New Testament go on and they begin to understand this some more, particularly Paul. And he says, because of Jesus' resurrection, now all of us will be raised with him. You put your faith, you put your hope, you put your trust in Jesus. And yet, one day your heart will stop beating. One day decay and sickness will overtake your body, but that is not the end of the story. That may be Friday, but your Sunday will come. And you will be raised with him. Because death isn't the victor. Because death isn't the end. Because death doesn't come to everyone. Because for those who put their hope in God's story, for those who put their trust in the one from him, Jesus, the one who say, like the people being baptised this afternoon, hey, I'm trusting in what he has done, will be raised and will live forever and ever and ever. That is wholeness. That is peace. Let that still your heart this day. Let that come to you in this moment. In the middle of everything we've done this morning. Why have we done it? Because Jesus says peace. He has won. 
And because he has conquered death, it also means there's peace between us and God. See, before there was no way we could get to God. All of our good stuff, just it was still poor compared with how righteous and holy God is. God wanted us with him. God wanted us there. In fact, God came close and lived among his people and he gave us the law. He said, look, if you want to know me, there's a whole list of things that you really shouldn't do. It's called the law and the commandments. It's not just ten. It's de- more depressing than that. It's loads of them. I mean, you know that. You get to Leviticus in your daily readings, for those of you that read the Bible that way. You don't start skipping and dancing and thinking, whoopee, I've got the next six weeks in Leviticus, describing what I shouldn't touch, shouldn't eat, and what to do with a dead donkey. And hey, you mustn't touch it for seven days, or whatever it is, I forget now. Loads of things that you shouldn't do. Loads of things you should do. In order to try and find some peace with God. That was the only way God could do it. But even that wasn't enough. It, it didn't give any power. It didn't help us. It just told us what not to do and what to do. But then Jesus comes. And Jesus is the only man, the only person, the only human. He's from God, but fully human. And he doesn't just do a good job. See, everyone likes saying, oh, Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, a good person. What they don't realise is what they mean when they say that. Now, Jesus was perfect. All the laws he fulfilled. Every single one of them. No one has done that before. What stops you and I getting right into the presence and closeness and relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator, is the law. It's like a barrier. It's in the way. Can't get there. Because we can't fill it all. We might come along and say, hang on a minute. Look, God, here are my white things. This is clean. Promise. Here, God, here's some good things I've done. Here's some white things. They're good, look. They're not bad. You know, I I speak nicely to people. I I try and treat others like I want to be treated most of the time. I even put some money in the offering. I I, I try and be kind to people. Here's some good things. And God says, well, let's see them then next to what I think is good. All of this, the law. I can just about see them. Not very many of them, really, are there? Doesn't fulfill this. Doesn't come close to God's standard. Not because God is like an evil headmaster with ridiculous standards, but because there is no one more pure, more good, more full of joy and righteousness and wholeness than God. That's why the law is so big. That's why there's so many commands. Because you're trying to describe what God's like. Trying to say, what does it really look like to have a life that has no wickedness or wrong motives or bad thought? What does that really look like? looks like Leviticus huge can't do it and our good things well they just disappear down there somewhere and then jesus comes and every single law and every thought and every action is fulfilled in jesus and because it's fulfilled that goes out the way and there's peace now there's a free clear way by putting your faith, your trust, your hope by saying, I can't do it but Jesus did that's what it means to believe in him, people kind of think it's just a mental kind of thing, we say, I I believe Jesus, I believe he's a good man, I'll put my trust in him, no the stories you'll hear in the baptism testimonies are far bigger than that they're not simply an intellectual act of believing in Jesus they're saying my hope, my trust my hope for knowing God my hope for how I'm going to live are in how Jesus lived, not how I can do it. I can't do it. Here's, here's my attempt down here somewhere. 
That's not enough. I can't do that. I, I can't do that. But Jesus did it, and he's opened the way. That's the gospel. If any of you here are still trying to work out what's this Christianity stuff about, why do we make so much fuss about Jesus, why are there so many songs, it's for this reason and this reason alone. Because only he lived the life that, it, that is the life that we want to live. Only he did it. And if you're thinking that Christianity is about coming to meetings or fulfilling laws or trying to live better than anyone else, it really isn't. It's simply saying I'm putting my hope in him and he is the way I get to know God. And when I do that, God's power and God's life change me. And it's not that we get perfect, but we now have power from God, peace, shalom, wholeness that changes how we live. That's why we sing. That's why we're baptising people. And that is why in this story, Jesus said, peace, shalom. Because there's now peace with God. And because of this, it also means there's peace with each other. See, there really shouldn't be fighting, conflict, brokenness here. I know there is, because we all muck up and all do things wrong. And we all have bad thoughts, and we can all still annoy each other, and we can all still fall out. And that, that come, let's have some reality. We've had one confession this morning, <coughs> that someone standing up front doesn't read the news sheet. <laughs> and that's authenticity for you. But it's really good, and better than the evening standard. Here's another bit of authenticity. We all have bad thoughts about each other at times. We can all fall out, and our relationships aren't all that we wish they could be sometimes. Not all the time, I know that. I know there wouldn't be this atmosphere and laughter and sense of community here if there wasn't righteousness, if there wasn't love for one another. I know that. But the reality is there are times when our relationships do break, or we do fall out with leaders, or we don't like what's going on, or we think, call themselves a follower of Jesus? God. Should have seen the way they spoke to me the other day and the way they told me how I should raise my kids. Ha, they knew what my kids were like. They wouldn't be throwing out their Bible verses at me or, or whatever else it might be. Listen, Jesus has said there's peace between us and God because he has overcome everything that made conflict happen. And because Jesus forgives us, we can forgive one another. There's no other way than that. The way we overcome broken relationships, the way we overcome people hurting us, isn't by beginning by saying, Paul, I really wish Paul would know why he winds me up, and then I'll forgive him. Then I'll let him off. He, as long as I, he's not going to do it to me again, then I can let him off. That's not forgiveness. It's not what Jesus says to us. He doesn't say, if you can guarantee you're not going to do it again, I'll forgive you. No, Jesus says, my death is enough. Come to me, forgive him. Next time, forgive him. Next time, forgive him. Next time, forgive him. That's why he says shalom. That's why he says peace. Brothers and sisters, this is a peace community. This is where peace should be found. Elders, Chris, Dan, live at peace. That's why we're recognising you as elders, because we see that trait in you. But part of your priority is to lead a church in a way that experiences and knows the peace of Jesus. You look at what Paul instructs elders to do when it comes to govern. It's not about all about gift and being up front and all of these things, although some of that's there. It's primarily about protecting the church and making sure the gospel's happening, making sure there's peace. The church is to be a peace community where relationships may break at times,
but we can quickly find our way back to shalom because of what Jesus has done. There is peace with God. <coughs> there is victory over death. And there is peace with one another. And all of this means that there is peace in our hearts. In the busyness of everything that we've done this morning, you think, goodness, church can be just as busy as my job. This following Jesus can be just as busy as anything else that I'm doing. And I get that, because there's a lot going on. We want to see Jesus known in all kinds of places. Hence we'll give money, hence we'll run events, hence we'll train one another in the Bible, run Alpha courses and all of that. But it all should flow from a place of knowing that Jesus has won. We have peace with God. Death has been conquered. There is nothing we need fear. Time for another bit of authenticity. I haven't got long on this because we need to finish, but this is going to lead into it. What are you worried about? What are you scared of? Never have we lived in a society that's got more wealth, more technology, more advanced, more education, and yet more depressed, more anxious, and more taken up with ourselves and fear of tomorrow. First day of the week, Jesus appears and says, Shalom, wholeness, be still, I have won. If peace can be found anywhere in this world, if peace can be found anywhere in London, it should be found in your heart, and it should be found in this community. Yeah, I get horrible stuff happens, like a friend being rushed into hospital, and it's life and death within moments. Can we know peace in that? Yes. Of course fear will come, especially for the family. Of course worry comes. So let's be real about that. I'm really worried. This is life and death going to happen. But quickly, we remind ourselves, no, Jesus declared, shalom. Be at peace. Not just know it out there, not just greet one another with it, but be at peace. Because he has conquered sin, sickness, and death. And we live by a different story. Some of you have got fear and worry and anxiety in your lives right now. May the peace of Jesus come to you as we finish this morning. Some of you are desperately worried for your children and some things that are going on. Jesus declared peace because he has hope for us, because he has conquered all the sin and brokenness in the world. May your hearts be peaceful with God. May all fear and anxiety go because he has conquered death and we have a hope. And may your relationships be at peace with one another because Jesus has shown us the way. So may your heart be filled with peace. And may that be what we take to the world this week. May that be what we take into the workplace. May that be what we're giving money to, that the peace of Jesus is made known. From the Middle East to Bermondsey, across this city and across this nation, Jesus has won. Let's stand. <coughs> Let's close our eyes. And I'm going to pray some familiar words, my version, but still familiar. May the peace of Jesus guard your hearts. May it fill you. May it bring hope. May it not simply be a religious statement. May it not simply be some pleasant words. 
may it not simply be set to music and something we can sing, but may the peace of Jesus fill your hearts and rule and reign. Where there has been fear and anxiety, where there has been crippling depression, where there has been nights laying awake, may that cease in Jesus' name because he has won because he is ruling and reigning over your life and over your family's life. And where there is conflict in relationships, may the peace of Jesus come and give you courage and hope and humility to bring forgiveness and to rescue and restore instead of brokenness. And may you find ways to bring that peace into the families and relationships which naturally come your way in the coming weeks. In the full biblical sense of the word be a peace bringer into brokenness and bring healing and hope in the name of Jesus amen stand your feet please as Vic will just close the meeting